0: Hey, good to see you today. How's everybody doing? Good day in the house, isn't it? Good day to be soaking in the presence of God. And we just love doing that. We love focusing on Jesus. And I I pray that this message will land on all of our hearts today. I want you to turn in your Bibles to where we're going to go here. So I'll just mention, I I like to say up front where we're going. So you can write this down or put markers in or bookmarks. 1 Corinthians 13, that's the first main passage, a bunch of other supporting passages, John's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 34, Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 through 12, now over to the Old Testament, Micah, chapter 7, verse 18 and 19, one more, hang in there, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Now while you're kind of marking that and getting there, I just want to say we're, how encouraged we are and the way God is leading us as a church as we, we've been seeking His name for us. And if you haven't been around here for a while, a couple of weeks ago, we had an announcement from our Board of Elders uh, that uh, the time has come, after waiting for many years, that we say, we're sensing this is the moment we are to seek God for His name for our church. And uh, you heard from Phil Harms, the leader of our subcommittee, a couple weeks ago. Phil's doing an outstanding job leading that team. He's such a wonderful and gracious leader. And I, I encourage you to jump on board with the whole journey. Uh, we're covering it in prayer. That's, it starts with prayer and it will end in prayer in the sense of seeking God for what He wants to show us. And so we invite you to do that. And then we also encourage you to be part of it and give us some of your suggestions or ideas. good news is, I think, like 10 people or so have already submitted names in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, that's Awesome. And I encourage you to pray about that. If you have something on your heart that you feel may be the name of this church in the future, go online, submit it through the website. It'll be prayed over by the team of people and interacted on and looked at amongst all other names. And we also want you to have one of these. If you didn't get one on the way in, um, grab one at the Welcome Center uh, as you go out. This is what we highlighted a couple weeks ago. It tells you what's going on. Um, Why are we doing this? How are we doing it? How are we involved? It's a congregational moment, and so we are leaving that in your hands. Please read it and jump on board with it. Okay, you guys got ready for 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Are you sure? All right. I want to say some things about that passage here before we jump into it. I want to say to you that this is not a wedding chapter. Okay? How many of you have been to a wedding and you heard the love chapter? Yeah. I've heard it a few times myself. I've read it a few times myself in doing weddings. Um, it's, it's, it's appropriate to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's not really a chapter in the Bible on marriage and, and weddings. Uh, but it can be used there. Uh, it's really a passage about what it means to be a spirit-filled people who are spiritually gifted, who are mature kingdom people, and who know what it takes to live out this thing called love. It's all about love. And I want to read the passage for us. I hope you're there. Words will be up on the screen as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I might summarize it with this phrase. Without love, it's game over. It's game over for the church, it's game over for the movement of Jesus, it's game over for believers, it's game over for our lives. Now last week we started a new series and it's, uh, it's all about relationships and it's called This Is Us and it's all about what it means to deepen and grow in biblical community in this church and Pastor Nathan uh, launched us so well with a great message on building a culture of honor. Hope you watch it, listen to it soon, it's awesome. Today I want to just sort of springboard off what Nathan began with last week, and I want to challenge us to get our love on, because without love, you can't get far enough. Without love, it's game over. Might as well shut the doors, sell the building, go to Mexico where it's warm, right, And, uh, and say we're done. If we don't have love, we might as well turn the lights out. Without love, we can't be the church. So here's kind of the overarching big thing I'm trying to kind of communicate on today. Only love will give you what you need for your relationships. Only love. It's not enough to just have wisdom for relationships. That's good. Need that too. It's not enough to just spend time together with those in your circle, in your friend group or in your family. You need to do that, but that's not enough. It's not enough to go to church and attend worship services. That's good, but it's not enough. It's not enough to serve or to be theologically sound or biblically informed. Those things are important, but they're not themselves alone enough. Without love, it is game over for anyone who considers themselves part of the church. So what do we know about love? Well, a few things that we're going to cover today. First of all, love is not counterfeit. Love is not fake. It's not superficial. It's not it's not something that, you know, it's just a facade. It's authentic, it's transparent, and it's real. How many of you have experienced real love? You, you have been engaged with it, you've felt it, it's touched your life. It's awesome, isn't it? And it's interesting, you know, that the most singularly defining chapter in the Bible on the subject of love is located, in, of all places, in the book of 1 Corinthians, to the believers of Corinth. I mean, here's a church that... Well, it was amazingly gifted, walking in all kinds of manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit. They were moving into the prophetic. They were figuring it all out. They were using words of knowledge and uh, all the revelatory gifts of the Spirit. It's great. Uh, They were probably ahead of many other churches back then in their time. That's awesome. But we know from the letters of Paul, as he wrote to them, that in spite of their kind of amazing passion in this area of the prophetic and, and all these great spiritual gifts, they were also a little bit shallow in their relationships. They were lacking some maturity and discernment as well. They were tolerating broken relationships in the church and even sin in the church, particularly sexual sin. There was sexual sin happening in Corinth and people were kind of knowing about it and they go, oh, we're not going to deal with that and the elders didn't deal with it in the Corinthian church and so it became a big mess. And... Um, there are other problems as well. There are people like identifying with different groups. Paul talks about this in verse 12, chapter 1. He says, well, some of you say, I'm of Paul, I, I follow Paul, or I follow Cephas, or Peter, or I follow Apollos, or so the real spiritual guys in the church were following Christ. <laughs> and, uh, and Paul says, come on, you know, come on, get your love on. Um, don't segregate. Don't get into camps. Don't get into the, well, we're this camp, and we're this camp, and we're in this group, and we're not in that group. Don't don't get into that. We need to grow in love, he's saying. And I think uh, to some point the Corinthian church was a little bit superficial, a little bit counterfeit. Not completely, but just enough to dilute their overall witness for Jesus. So Paul sends them a letter, and he sends them a bunch of words on love. It's located between chapter 12 and chapter 14. Did you know that 13 is after 12? And Alright, you knew that. I'm saying that because of context, right? We've always got to look at the context of what we're dealing with in the scriptures. What's the significance of this? Well, Paul has been at waxing eloquently in chapter 12. He's saying, I, I-, I want you to know about spiritual gifts. I-, I want you to know about apostles and prophets and and teachers, and administrators, and people with the gift of hospitality. I want you to know about all the kinds of gifts in the body of Christ. And so he's unpacking that in chapter 12. And it's awesome. And over in chapter 14, he he writes a whole bunch of stuff there about how to use the prophetic gifts, how to minister in the prophetic. And it's great. Sometimes I get asked a question by... People and often by other pastors and other churches, like, how does the prophetic work? And I and I say to them, You want no secret? And they go, Yeah, it's in the Bible. And they go, Where? I say, First Corinthians 14. I promise you, if you go home, you just open up First Corinthians 14 and you read it out loud, slowly, two times, you're gonna pretty much understand how the gifts of the Spirit work. Really? It's awesome. It's good. We should do it. Paul's saying to them in chapter 14, this is how the gifts of the Spirit work. This is how they flow. By the way, as a church, we believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Amen? All of them are necessary. All of them are good. All of them are vital. All of them are still around. We're not a church that says... That those gifts stopped after the last apostles or when the canon of Scripture came around. We we don't believe that. that The Bible does not teach that. The Bible says that these gifts endure. That they're there until Jesus comes back. For sure. And so we affirm all the gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned in in the Scriptures. We want them all. We we trust God for them all. And yet, we also want to see what Paul says here about keeping this all in kingdom alignment. That's why we have chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. So just flip back to the end of verse, or the end of chapter twelve. One last verse before we get into the passage again. Paul says this, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Oh, really? The most excellent way? Yep. Here's the gifts. Need them? You should have them. You should learn about them, and I'll teach you about that over here in chapter fourteen. But before we get there, I want to show you the most excellent way. The most excellent way is love. Now, remember the times I've talked with you guys about ditches? No? (laughs) A few times here and there. Try not to talk about it too much. But, you know, you're driving down a road on a highway and you've got a ditch on the left, ditch on the right. What are you supposed to do with ditches? Stay away from ditches, right? Ditches are bad. They're not where you want to end up. And some people might say, I knew it, I knew it. I knew it's not worth being a church that's pursuing spiritual gifts. It's not worth being a church that's really open to the Holy Spirit. It's not worth being a church that's open to the prophetic and the supernatural because if you are, then you get really imbalanced and you don't love people well. No, that's a ditch. We're not going in that ditch. Both matter. (laughs) The Corinthian imbalance was not that they were focused too much on spiritual gifts because Paul spends two chapters unpacking that material. That was not their imbalance. Their imbalance was they just needed to up their love. Paul's saying, yeah, let's do all the the gifts of the Spirit. Let's do them all. Let's release them all. Here's how they work. Here's how they should be manifested. And by the way, you guys suck at love, is what he's saying. He's saying that. He's saying you suck at love. Okay. So chapter 13, he begins and he says... If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Oh, wow. And the Corinthian people are like, I have the gift of tongues? Am I a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal? By the way, Paul is not opposed to the gift of tongues. He's for it. And What a beautiful, amazing, stunning, awesome gift the gift of tongues is. What an amazing gift. Chapter 14, verse 4, Paul says, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. It's the only gift in the list that says it that way, that there's a direct edification of your your being, of your spirit soul, when you are using the gift of tongues, and the spirit prompts you, and then out of your mouth will come Words that are in different language, some form of communication, and God hears it and God understands it. It's a good gift. Paul's affirming that. He's affirming the gift. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. The one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Can I say that over you guys? I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. But I would rather have you prophesy. Hmm. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So we know that that's part of how that gift works, right? It's a a heavenly language. It's a language that that God gives through the Holy Spirit. And then often the person's worshiping God and they're being edified. Sometimes that gift can be used if it's interpreted as a message. uh, There can be a message given to the body. It's good. And when you're doing that, when you're praying in the gift of tongues or singing in the gift of tongues, your mind is, the Bible says, unfruitful. It doesn't know what's happening unless God reveals it to you. And you can ask even to interpret that. But your mind is not comprehending what's being said. But the Spirit of God is comprehending what's being said. And the Spirit of God, I think, moves in great ways as people speak in those heavenly tongues, as they, as they use them in the anointing of the Spirit. I think things happen and uh, the kingdom advances. Many of you have the gift of tongues in our church. Some of you are maybe a little don't know about it, or it's new to me, and others need to seek it. You need to seek for it. God may give it to you. He, he might even give it to you today or tomorrow or this week. I received the gift of tongues two years after I became a follower of Jesus. I was about 22 years of age by then. I'd been a follower of the Lord for a couple of years, I was, and then I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And sometime after that, I don't know exactly when, I began to speak in tongues. And they were real and powerful. My spirit was edified. I was worshiping God and weeping. I feeling His presence and sensing His goodness. And at that time, I was surrounded by a bunch of brand new believers, and many of them were trying to do the same thing, and some of them were faking it. You know what I mean? They were faking the gift of tongues. It was like, ah, that's just not cool. And uh, I visited a church where it was kind of all chaotic and there was no one really, you know, discerning what was going on. And I got nervous. So you know what I did? I took that gift that I had and I put it on hold. I just kind of put it dormant in my life. I said, Lord, I don't know what to do with this. I'm just going to back off. Ten years later, the Lord spoke to me. I was in Bible college by this time. Ten years later, and he he reminded me, hey, didn't I give you a good gift there? How How come you're hiding that gift? How come you're burying it? Let's get that working again. And I began to release the gift of tongues in my life. And for the last 20 years now, I've been increasing in that. And so it just comes out in worship, it comes out in prayer, it comes out in special moments of ministry. And it's almost like a daily experience for me. It's a wonderful gift. And many of you know what I'm talking about. And I encourage you to be open to this. Paul's not saying, let's stop all that stuff in the church, let's put a lid on the prophetic, let's put a lid on these things and just focus on love, He's no, 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 that's a ditch. He's saying, while we're going to be this, we're going to be a prophetic people, we're going to step into all these things, we're going to be who God wants us to be, let's also get our love on. Come on, get our love on. Because it's not enough to have the gift of tongues. Did you hear me on that? If you don't have love. It's not enough to have big faith that can move mountains. And who wouldn't want big faith that moves mountains? That's not enough if you don't have love. It's not enough to be generous as a giver or sacrificial as a steward or to fund and resource things in the, in the advance of the kingdom of God without love. That's not good. It's not enough to be willing to sacrifice your body for the sake of truth or for the sake of the mission of Jesus if you don't have love. I'm speaking to missionary-type people right now. You love the mission of God? That's awesome. The Holy Spirit has planted that passion inside of you. Nurture it. Develop it, grow it, release it. And remember this, without love, you can't do the mission. (laughs) I love Erwin McManus for many reasons. One of them is, one of the things he used to say is that, that love is the fuel of mission. Not duty, love. Love of God, love of humanity, love of our neighbor, love of our friends. And so we go out there. We go out there because we're fueled by love. It's the new commandment Jesus gave to his disciples. Look at John 13, verse 34. He said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, if you see the setting of what Jesus, uh, when he used those words, you'll realize it's in John 13. And uh, in the upper room there, he, he shows the disciples the extent of his love. He washes their feet. And then he's saying, as I have loved you in the same way now, with the same kind of attitude and heart and motivation, so you must love one another. Because without love, it's game over. Only love is going to give you what you need for your relationships. Love, true love, is not counterfeit. Here's the other thing we know. Love is counterculture. It's counterculture. Now, it seems like an oxymoron to me to say that because uh, the part of the world that we live in says a lot about love. There's there's songs about love on the radio. Did you notice that? And they're not Christian. <laughs> there's books about love. There's there's movies about love. There's programs about love. Everybody's talking about love. People saying, "I love, I love, I love, I love my house. I love my home. I love my apartment. I love my condo. I love it. Uh, I love my dog." And I really love my dog. Or I love my cat. I don't have one. Glad you do. I really love Netflix shows. In fact, me and my sweetheart, we really love this one show. And we snuggle up together. And we're in season three, episode 11. It's like, awesome. I love, I love, I love my Netflix. I really, really love my weekly Wednesday grande almond milk latte with a pump of vanilla in it and caramel topping and shaved chocolate 180 degrees. I love it. I love my latte on Wednesdays. I love it. I love hanging out with my friends. I love hanging. You know, I love state and Maine. I love being here. I love being there. How about this one? I love my Subaru. It's a cult. Beware. (laughs) Just kidding. Great cars. You may need one, want one. Or this one. I love my yoga studio. Ooh. Oh man. I don't think Jesus is gonna give you a love for a yoga studio. I don't think he's gonna give you a love for yoga at all. You know why? It's a rival religion deep in its roots. It comes out of pantheism. Whole Hindu religion is based on that. And yeah, yeah, I know, but okay, it's not that dangerous. Well, 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 Jesus is not gonna give you a love for it. I guarantee it. Guaranteed. What the Beatles say, love is all you need. They're partly right, mostly right. In this context, they got it right. Everybody's talking about love. But often when they're talking about love, what they're talking about is, I want what I want when I want it, and I don't care what you think, I'm going to get it. That's my love. I love this stuff. I love what I get. But real love is counter-cultural. Real love is comes from a different source, and it has a different impact. Real love is powerful. And that's what Paul's teaching about here in chapter 13. And so he says, real love is not impatient. Hmm. So if you're driving down the highway, and there's someone in that left lane, and they're going below the speed limit, and you come up behind their bumper, You're going to be patient, right? You never become impatient. There's no impatient people here. Real love is not rude. Real love is not brash, self aggrandizing uh, careless, brutish, doing gross things in public. Real love would never embarrass someone. Real love is not rude. It's kind. It's gentle. Real love doesn't envy what other people have or what other people do. That's what Paul's saying. You got real love, you're happy when people do better than you, materially. This last week I was out for coffee with one of our leaders and we were done and I'm going back to my car, walking back to my car, it's a 2005 Toyota with a 265K on it, add-on zeros. Okay? And uh, I love it and God holds it together miraculously. I just don't get it. Anyways. I'm walking back to my car, and I see out of the side of my eye, I see a really, really stunning, beautiful car. It's a Mercedes, and it's a coupe. I don't even know what they call them. I call them coupes. And uh, I'm like, oh, my goodness. It just jumped out at me. So I'm standing on the street corner there, and I'm looking at that car. And it's navy, and it's got chrome. And, you know, the, thing, the hood ornament was like, oh, God, that, that hood ornament, that's just so awesome. And I thought, you know, isn't it great that there's brilliant men and women who create these things? They're creators. They make things like that. So it came to me, you got to go to your car. I'm like, oh, yeah. (laughs) So I had that little moment where it's like, and why, Lord? And I said, Lord, I bless the people that own this car. I bless them. I I give them joy as they drive it. Let them just have a fantastic day wherever they are going in it. I thank you, God, that you've blessed them with such a great car. Hmm. Now, Ten years ago, that might have taken me half a day (laughs) or more. (laughs) The bumper made me drool. I mean, it was ridiculous. (laughs) But I made a decision. I'm not going to envy. I'm happy. I'm happy when I see people that have great blessings. God blesses people with abundance, right? Didn't we learn about that in a series last December, right? God is a God of abundance and blessings, so we can always trust him there. And some people get a lot of abundance. What's our attitude? We say, amen. God, you're good. You're just pouring out blessings. And we don't know why or how. And We just know that he does certain things. And we need to just be respectful of that. Real love will not envy others. So remember that when it's cold. And you know what the wind's been like lately? Anybody getting really tired of this? Anybody talk to God? I'm praying to God about the wind. I'm like, uh, we want the wind of the Spirit, not the Rocky Mountain wind. Okay? But we got both right now. So. so, anyways, just remember that when it's cold and it's snowing outside, and your best friends are in Mexico, they're in the south of the border, in Phoenix. And they're down there and they're texting you, and they're like, oh, it's so good at the swimming pool. And you're like, yeah. Real love does not envy. It's like, God, thank you that you gave them that time to go there and the resources. You bless them. We can't be petty, right? Did you know that God really resists a certain group of people in the Bible? He does, and they're called the proud. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God's like, I don't want proud people around my presence. They don't fit. (laughs) And so, when we want to look at building community and growing in community and becoming the people of God in relationship, what we need to do is pursue humility so that there's no pride in our relationships, so that the community that we enter into is authentic and is based on real love. Real love does not dishonor others. That's what Paul's talking about here. By the way, last week um, when we launched in here and talked about a culture of honor, I thought of that and what Pastor Nathan was saying. I wanted to build on that today by doing something. Because when you talk about a culture of honor, you've got to look at your attitudes and your values and and your instincts, and your actions, and your behaviors, and all of that, and how you talk about people when they're not in the room. That's all part of a culture of honor. So I want to take a moment to honor a very special person in the kingdom of God. Because this is no ordinary week. This is a week when one of God's people has been highly honored already, and deserves to be so. And I'm talking to you about Billy Graham. You know what happened, right? Billy went where? Home. Heaven. Is he there? Absolutely. Billy Graham died at age 99, preceded by his wife, Ruth Graham, who died a few years prior. I want to honor Billy Graham today. I feel I'm supposed to, so I'm just going to do it. This is a spiritual giant in our times. Millions of people have come into the kingdom of Christ through the preaching of the Word of God by Billy Graham, or his associates, or his ministries, or his other evangelists. We have people in our church that are connected to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, known as BGEA. We have people in our church who are part of Samaritan's Purse, on staff or supportive volunteers that are there in our church. I want you to know how much of a giant this guy is. In my own life, at age 14, I was homesick, and I, I was off school for a few weeks, or for a few few uh, evenings, and I sat at home. I was not a Christian. Wasn't raised in a Christian way. And on TV that week was a Billy Graham crusade. Never heard of him. Never never knew about him. I sat in the living room. My mom was there with me. We watched a couple nights. And I heard him say to the television screen, you need to receive Christ. And until you receive Christ, you're lost. You're lost. But he loves you and he wants you in his family. And you need to repent and come to him and he will receive you. I heard this and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Something's talking to me. I didn't know it was God. I thought it was the guy on the TV. I thought, no, it's bigger than the guy on the TV. I ran to my bedroom down the hall in our little house in Manitoba, and I went in my bookcase, and I grabbed. The only thing I needed to do is I just grabbed my little red Gideon New Testament that I got in grade five because I knew it was the Bible, and maybe God would talk to me. And I opened it up, and I read Mark 16. And I went, I have no idea what's happening to me. And I left it. I didn't didn't become a follower of Jesus that day. It took four or five more years after that. But a seed was planted in my heart because of the faithfulness of a guy from South Carolina or North Carolina, wherever he comes from. Some, Some guy that got on a television set and he's telling the whole world they need Jesus and he doesn't care who's against him or offending against him. I want to honor Billy Graham today. We're going to do it. In a moment I'm going to ask you to stand if you've been blessed by the ministry of Billy Graham. When I say blessed by the ministry of Billy Graham, I mean directly either by his preaching or through his ministries through Ann Graham Lots, his daughter, powerful speaker, author, Will Graham, Franklin Graham, all their ministries, outreach, Samaritans Purse, Rock the River, video materials, Decision Magazine, prayer counselors. Oh my goodness. If you have been touched by the ministry of Billy Graham in any way, stand up right now. Stand up. Stand up. Church, look around you. Turn. Oh, my goodness. Just about all of us have heard and been ministered to by the ministry of a faithful servant. He has finished his race. He's completed his course. We will now, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate what God did through his life. Amen? (laughs) Woo! Yeah. (laughs) Praise God. Give someone a high five and have a seat. Oh, yeah. We honor those who deserve to be honored. We honor those who have sacrificed much. We honor people who get on the road and they stay on that road all the way. And they know there's only one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. There's no other religion that will save you. Only Jesus can save you, and I'm praying, and I know some of you have been joining me in this prayer. We've been praying this week. Oh God, let a mantle of evangelism fall now from heaven and land on new people here, new people in the church, new people in the Western world, new people in the other parts of the globe. Oh God, pour out your spirit. Raise up a new army of evangelists, men and women who will take the gospel everywhere in the name of Jesus. Love requires honor. And we honor those who have given much of their lives, much, and and paid great cost to do that. Here's another one. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love is not building up a case for someone so you can judge them. Notice it doesn't say love denies when someone has hurt you. We think that if we can't keep record of wrongs, Sometimes, erroneously, we think, well, then I can't even acknowledge that I've been hurt. No, no, no. There's lots of verses on that. We need to process our pain. We need to forgive people. We need to realize and and be truthful when we are hurt, but we need to keep no record of wrongs. Hmm. Holding on to painful memories can get you into the territory where you start keeping record of wrongs. Then you can't forgive people. Jesus said... When he was asked one day, hey, Lord, you know, how many times should I forgive my brother? Like seven times. The disciple who asked that thought, that's a pretty good amount. Seven times, it's a number of completion in the Hebrew culture. In other words, Lord, how about if I just forgive someone seven times? There's got to be a limit, right? When they keep hurting you, don't, don't you just stop forgiving them at some point? So, Lord, I'm thinking it's seven, right? How many times should I forgive? Seven times? And Jesus said, No, 70 times 7. And and maybe the disciple was thinking, you mean like 490? You mean I can actually make a list? And it's like Jesus saying, quit counting. Quit counting. Yeah, but I I got, yeah, don't count. Don't deny that you've been hurt, but don't make a big list here and harbor it and say, yeah, look what these people did to me, or look what this person did to me, look what this church did to me. No, step out of that. Real love keeps no record of wrongs. Can you imagine if God kept a record of wrongs for you as the believer? Let me apply this to believers here because we could have another conversation about those who are not. Can you imagine if God kept record of all of the sins committed by the believers who have repented of their sins? Can you imagine if God kept a big book with all the, all the lists of all the things that, that, that we've done wrong, all the sins, transgressions, iniquities, moral failures. Can you imagine if God kept a record of that? If you don't know this, the moment you prayed to receive Jesus Christ in your life, the moment you turned away from your own life and your own sinfulness and turned to Him, at that very moment, the work of the cross was applied to your soul. The blood that was shed... Made atonement for your sins, covered them all. Sins in the past, sins in the present, sins in the future. Your slate has been wiped clean. God himself does not keep record of wrongs. In Micah chapter, what is it here? 7, at verse 18 He puts it this way, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of His inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. God deals with sin that way. Treads it out and throws our sins into the sea. Someone described it as the sea of his forgetfulness. God's like, I don't want to remember this stuff anymore. Do you? (laughs) And then over to Hebrews chapter 8. I'm going to show you the New Testament version of this. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. Note this verse. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. No more. You confess your sins. You repent of them. You're forgiven of them in Jesus Christ. He remembers them no more. Yeah, but sometimes I don't feel right after I've even done that. That's a different issue. Yeah, but sometimes I might think I might stumble and do that same sin again. You might, and you can still be forgiven. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Yeah, but sometimes I've, I've confessed that, and I just feel like I've got to go back to the Lord. Well, try it. Go back to the Lord and say, Lord, I've already repented of this sin, and uh, I, I just want to know what you think about it. And he might say to you, well, let's check. Let's check the records. And so he says to his angel in charge of record keeping, open the books. And the angel of record keeping opens the books. Name, date, All right. Is, is it in there? We're checking. Nope. There's a blank here. There's a blot here. Book closed. We don't have a record of that. Why are you remembering that? Come on. i don't you want to get rid of that stuff? Why are you remembering that? I'm sorry, Lord. Okay, let's let's move on. Mm. Grace, grace, grace abounding. God has given us grace, grace, grace abounding to live in His love. Love keeps no record of wrongs because we know we have been forgiven much. God's not keeping record of my wrongs. How dare I keep record of wrongs of someone else? who's hurt me? I won't do it. And love is not flimsy or wishy-washy, by the way. Love does not delight in evil, it says, but rejoices in the truth. Uh, here's where we have to redeem the word love again, because love in our culture means kind of just a feeling, you know, and just how I, how I relate to you and, and that. But real biblical love is based in, anchored in, and expresses itself in truth. Ephesians 4.15, we are to speak the truth in love. They always go together. Someone might come to you someday and say, I just want you to justify my lifestyle. And then I'll know that you love me. You say, you know what? I love you. I love you. I care about you. I really care about you. I pray for you. I I like you. I I want the best for you. But I am not going to affirm something that God won't affirm. Because truth matters. Well, then you don't really love me. No, I do love you. Don't, don't get confused here. I love you, and I love you also in the truth because only the truth can set you free. Hmm. Who's the source of love? Where does it all come from? I want to ask you that. Is this something that I've got to kind of manufacture? Is this something that I've got to try to produce on my own? Is this something that I, Sandy Isfeld, I've got to kind of get my act together, and I've got to dig in deeper, and I've got to try to love people in my own humanness? No. The Bible tells us that love comes from God. It comes from God. There's a verse that says God is love. He's the basis and source of it. Romans 5.8, but God, let me just back up there, but God, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When did He die for you? When you were a sinner. Now He's changed you. Now you're a new creation in Christ. You have a new identity. But His love came to you when you least deserved it. That's the source of love. It's God. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God started the whole thing. God initiated the whole trajectory of His mission fueled by love. 1 John says, This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that... He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He took the initiative. Let me put it bluntly. He took the initiative for you. You would never have come into His kingdom, never, unless He came to you with His love first. And His love drew you in. And His truth rescued you. Jesus on the cross is the ultimate example. You want to know what love looks like? You want to know what love sounds like? See Jesus on a cross. Arms outstretched, blood dripping down, nails in him after being tortured. See him there and realize this. All the sins of the world laid upon him in that moment of God allowing his son to be crucified. You want to know what love looks like? See the people around him, some of them jeering him, some of them mocking him, some of them wanting to spit on him. And he's still loving them, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You want to know what love looks like? See Jesus on a cross and realize all your iniquities are on him at that moment. Your old man, your old nature, your old woman, whatever you want to call it, it got crucified in Christ. You're free from it. You want to know what love looks like? It looks like a Savior bloody and dying for the sins of the world and then rising on the third day. Through the power of God the Father. That's what love looks like. Do you know how much you're loved? Do you know how much you're loved? Do you know if you're really loved? I just point you to the cross. Jesus came for you. For you. And he loves you. And when you have received his love, it changes you. It takes you into the whole journey of forgiveness and restoration and a brand new life with God, and, his, and your sins he will remember no more, no more. If I don't tap into that love, I can never do well in any of my relationships. I won't do well as a young adult. I won't do well as a middle-aged person. I won't do well in my senior years. If I don't tap into that love, I can't do well in my marriage. I can't, I can't love Marianne the way I need to if I don't tap into that love that God has for me first. If I don't tap into that love, everything is chaos. For some of you, if you're not anchored in the love of God, you're going to always break up with people. You're just going to go through relationships, bang, 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 just like that, because you, you, you yourself are not loved. And so you can't, you can't connect, you can't give it, you can't, you can't pull it out because it's not there, but you know there's something missing, and you try and try and try and try again. Or you quit your job again because, of course, you're always the one who's being persecuted. Then maybe it's just a hole in your heart and you bring it to yourself. Or maybe you can't do family life well because you, you have issues and you don't have the courage that love gives you to put the issues on the table and say, We gotta talk. Friends, we cannot be the church without love. Without love, it's game over. I love first John chapter three. It's it's one of my absolute favorite verses in the Bible. And it it just says this, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. See. And the word see means to behold a supernatural phenomenon. It's like if an angel showed up right now in this room. There he is. Wow. Supernatural phenomenon. John's saying, see Behold what great love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called the children of God. See this. Take this in. This is important. This will shape your soul and your spirit and your inner being. Because without love, you won't have what you need for your relationships. Finally, very briefly, love is consistently costly. It's going to cost us to go into the territory of love. After we know we've been loved, we can now pay a price to love others. Verse 7, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Notice the word always. Always, always. Love never fails. That kind of love comes from God. And it's costly. God is going to call some of you people to pay a cost this week. This week. You have to pay a cost for some relationship, either to go to someone and work something out or to extend grace to them and, and mercy. What, I don't know what it is, but he's going he's to lead you into a cost that you will need to pay for love. When you're anchored in the love of the Father, you can walk in it. It just flows through you. And you go, I know this is not from me because I don't even like the person, right? Here we go. Wow. And then God shows you the gold in them. God shows you the true identity behind all of the scars and all of the stuff. And you go, oh, my goodness, this person's a gem. Yeah. Love opens our eyes. Some of you have a debt of love to pay to your spouse. Pay it. Or to your daughter or to your son or to your sister or your brother or your mom or your dad or your friend. Pay it. Pay it. Only love will give you what you need for all your relationships. I invite our worship team to come on up here. And I want to leave you now with something that I'm just going to call the weekly challenge, okay? Because in this series, we said to you we're going to be authentic, we're going to be raw, we're going to be, we're going to be transparent, and we're going to be very tangible in what we're calling ourselves to as a church. So I've got a few things here I want to invite you to embrace if you would. It's called the weekly challenge. First of all, Decide who in your life you need to love in a whole new way. All right? And I did this at 9 o'clock, and I'm going to do it again. Pray right now and say, Lord Jesus, show me. Give me the name. Who am I supposed to love? Just like that. Just pray. And when you get that name, that face, say, thank you, Lord. And now you plan to show them love this week. Secondly, admit where you need to be more authentic, less counterfeit. (laughs) This is where it gets painful. Because we can kind of put on an outward appearance. But unless we're motivated by love, people see through it. So just admit, where is it, God, where is it that I need to be more authentic? Show me, show me right now. God's shown me stuff this week that I need to do, that I need to change and grow. And then this one, I want you to do this. Declare over yourself every day for seven days that you are resting and basking in the amazing love of the Father. You are proclaim 1 John 3 1, to say God I am receiving right now the love of the Father lavished upon me and I'm a child of God proclaim that out loud let's stand together hang in here with me a moment okay we're going to pray here in just a, just a moment. I know there's some people here today and I my heart is just sensing that you want to begin this journey. You haven't started it properly yet. You need to receive the love of the Father. It starts with you being loved. It starts with you coming home. It starts with you coming into the presence of Jesus and receiving Him as Lord and Savior, getting your sins removed so God forgets about them and you're ready for it and it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you a decision of your will. You're going to need to repent. You're going to need to believe in him and give up control of your life and I know you want to do that because you get a new life in return. So if you're ready to do that I want you to pray this simple prayer with me right now. Pray, Pray it and mean it. Oh God in the name of Jesus I turn to him right now I turn away from my control of my life, my sinfulness. I ask you to forgive me of my sins based on the cross. Wipe them away. Thank you. Now let the love of the Father come in my life and change me. I want to be born of your spirit. I want to become a son or daughter. I commit to following you as my Lord and Savior. I yield my will to you right now. I choose you. prayed that prayer and meant it say God thank you thank you that you've come into my life thank you that I'm born of your spirit right now thank you that I'm in your family thank you that angels are rejoicing in heaven because I've come home thank you that I belong to you thank you that I'm with you oh God thanks for many of us it's another level of love and I want you to join me in saying, God, I yield myself to the love of the Father. I yield myself to being loved, to quit trying, to quit striving for it. I give up on perfectionism, anxiety, worry, fear, control. I give it all up. I want to rest in your love. Father, pour your love upon me right now, through the Holy Spirit. Oh, God, I need it. I need it. Go deeper, deeper, Lord, deeper with your love in me right now. Thank you, God. Oh, God, thank you. Fill me to overflowing with your love. If Jesus has touched you with the Father's love today, would you put up your hand, anyone? Just put up your hand. Amen. Lots of hands. Wow. Yeah. Praise God. Before I release this I want to say this to you it's been on my heart for three days I felt the Lord told me that at the end of this service and the end of nine I'm to invite up anyone who's here who has um, who's experiencing great fear there's a sense of dread over you it's it's controlling you it's paralyzing you there's great fear over you right now you can't shake it you've tried it's not coming off and there's just this sense of overwhelming, overwhelming worry. Jesus wants to remove that from you today. And I want you to come up here in a moment. Stand here. I'm going to pray for you with ministry team people. It'll be brief. We're not, it's not counseling. It's to break off that stuff. And also, I'm supposed to say this. If you're up here getting prayed for like that and you need healing in your life, the Lord wants to take care of that too. That's not for all of us. That's for some. You can come up here anytime you're ready. Wait until we get to you. We're going to impart kingdom peace in the name of Jesus upon anyone who needs it. His peace, his love is in the room. And now may the grace of God the Father and the love of God the Son and the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Through Jesus Christ's sake and for his honor and his glory. Everyone said, Amen. God's peace be upon you. See you soon.